Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would release your word in and through our hearts and that you would give us the blessed opportunity to see it bear fruit as we gather at this table today and eat in remembrance of your son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, you are the friend that we need and we pray you'd make that known to us in a special way today. We pray this in your holy name and through the power of your Holy Spirit and all God's children said, amen. Melissa and Natalie and Mary Gwen and I have been here a little over five years. Georgia Grace has only been here about two and a half years. So, um, But before we moved here, we lived and uh, we, we served what was called Longview Adaton Charge. And it was about almost five miles west of Starkville. Longview was uh, kind of further south and Adaton a little bit further north. But the parsonage was at uh, across the street from the Longview Church. And when we moved in, there was an, an enormous gumball tree probably less than 20 feet from the front of the house. And at some point, we began to notice that this enormous tree looked like it was beginning to rot down around the ground, around the roots. And guess what we did next? We contacted the church leaders because <laughs> we were concerned something was going to happen. And so soon after, the church leaders worked, and before you know it, we got a visit from a two-man crew that came out and carefully took that tree down. Now, if I remember correctly, they showed up on a weekday. It was maybe around 9, 30, 10 o'clock. And I think it maybe was a sort of an overcast fall day. I can't remember for sure, but that just seems like that was about right. And the primary office that I worked out of was actually right off of the carport at, at the parsonage. So my main office was actually at the parsonage. And I think I maybe heard the saws crank up or something. And so I said, oh, they're out there working. And so I decided I'd go out there and greet them. So I, I went out the door into the carport and sort of rounded the corner and I saw two men, uh, probably in their 30s, maybe in their early 40s. Now, one of the men was already raised up, uh, probably not quite as high as the, the peak of the, the roof, but he was pretty high in his bucket lift, and he was already beginning to uh, trim away some of the upper limbs. I spoke to the guy on the ground, and I think he was the foreman. And uh, we probably talked for maybe 15 minutes. I mean, maybe a little longer, but it was a very short conversation. And I found out that they had come from around Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So it was quite a ways away. I don't know how much they paid them just to drive over, but I bet it was a pretty penny. I can't really remember a whole lot of the details about what I said specifically. I can't remember what I said. I have no idea what prompted uh, this man to begin to share what he shared. But our conversation, it was like zero to 60. It went from casual to deep and vulnerable very quick. I was very surprised. I wasn't expecting to have a deep conversation out there. And this guy began to talk uh, about his life story. And he talked about the burdens he was carrying. And he told me about how he grew up in Michigan. And he mentioned that I think he lost his dad at somewhere around 10 years old. And he began to talk to me about how his, uh, his that kind of threw him for a loop in his life emotionally. And he talked about how he reacted to that, that hurt and that pain in his life. I think there was a lot of it that he did out of anger and out of sort of almost a, a, a rebelling against the situation. And he sort of seemed to indicate he was looking for that love and that affirmation and that meaning that was sort of stripped from his life when his dad left this world. And what was clear from both his words and his demeanor is that he was carrying a huge burden of regret 
and guilt from the many bad choices that he's made in his life in response to that situation. And I, I immediately felt like I could relate to what he was saying. Now, unlike him, I, at that point in my life, had not lost one of my parents. But I could relate to this idea of making a lot of poor choices in my life, sort of looking for that love and that affirmation and that meaning in things other than a relationship with God, who I didn't really know that much about at the time. Um, and I could also identify with that sense of nagging guilt that he was feeling. I wonder if you this morning can relate with that. Maybe it's like me, it wasn't exactly like this guy's situation, and maybe your situation is not exactly like mine, but you can resonate with that sense of that nagging guilt that it's sometimes it's almost imperceptible, at other times it seems to be screaming at us. And you, like me, are dealing with a troubled conscience. Yes, even a deeply troubled conscience. And somehow, some way, like me and like him, you know that you've done wrong in your life, as I know I've done much wrong in my life. And deep down, you know that this life, these choices, have made things not right somehow, some way. But why might any of us deal with what we would refer to as this nagging guilt or this troubled conscience? Well, maybe you're not like me or the, my tree removal friend or some of the others here. Maybe some of us, we are almost like in REM-level sleep. We have no sense of any kind of guilt in our lives. We sort of asleep to that. That just seems strange to us. Other of us may be awake to that sense of sin, but we are deceived into thinking then that other than rather than God being the answer to that, that we somehow are going to be the answer to dealing with that guilt. Well, 1 John, near the end of the Bible, gives us, I think, some insight into our common problem and also offers us an amazing solution. In I heard somebody say this multiple times, and maybe you've heard this, that maybe we should read the Bible as God's personal love letter written just to us. While I think we have to be careful about how we interpret the Bible, I think it's something there about that idea that we ought to take to heart, that God wants to speak to us. I think John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is doing just that. I think in the voice of John, to those he calls his little children, we're hearing God's own voice to his little children. He's not talking down to them when he's calling them little children. In fact, most people hear that language. It's actually, it's, it's a very endearing term. It's a very affectionate term. God is talking to his people, and he's affirming his love for them and his deep valuing of them. And yet, God's message of love is not always like the modern world interprets it. Sometimes in the modern world, it's all about just um, affirmation across the board, regardless of what is going on in our lives. And yet, 1 John models for us that God's love sometimes comes in the mode of words of warning and words of challenge. It sometimes sounds like confrontation, and it sometimes is not only sounds like, but is a call to repentance. And I think that's exactly what we get here in 1 John. I think when we read 1 John 2, 1 through 2, we need to hear it in light of some of the other things that John has already said. John has been addressing these children of Christ about sin, and he began his main thought by reminding them of who God is. So here, verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Clearly, John believes that because God is light, 
that has some direct moral implications. If God is light, then there is such a thing as righteousness, there's such a thing as truth, and then there's also then those unacceptable opposites to that, deception, unrighteousness, sin. Students of 1 John try to understand what's going on in the community life of John's little children because it seems like there's some statements there where he's sort of, he's echoing some things that are being taught and heard in that community. So he says in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 through 19, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. He goes on further to speak of these people as those who are trying to deceive you. So one major problem seems to be around how this group of people that had been among them uh, viewed and taught about sin, uh, not only in others but also within themselves. Some of them apparently lived in blatant contradictory lives, claiming to have fellowship with God while walking in obvious darkness. Again, John says in chapter 1, verses 5 through 6, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. These persons also apparently thought that sin was no big deal, maybe some of them that it had no real impact on their relationship and fellowship with God, even if they were currently and actively practicing it. Others may have been testifying to never or no longer having to deal with a sin nature in their lives. Since it says in 1 John 1 verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Some of them seem to be claiming that they were not guilty of sin either in the past or in the present. Or they were perhaps even denying that they had ever committed any sinful actions in the first place. Because we hear in John chapter 1, verse 10, If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Be sure of this, to truly receive Jesus and his word is to, by definition, at some point, be brought to a knowledge of ourselves as sinners who need saving. So the bottom line is for John and the apostles who were the eyewitnesses to the truth as is in Jesus, that there is such a thing as darkness and sin. And John is adamant that this sinful darkness is completely inconsistent with God's nature as light. John makes it plain that living in darkness by definition excludes one from really having fellowship with God. Any claim to being cleansed by the blood of Christ that leaves one untroubled by our sin apathetic toward our sin or excusing of darkness in our lives is by definition a counterfeit claim that's very serious so when we say with the old hymn writer jesus saves jesus saves we're not talking about merely getting a free admission pass into the theme park called heaven we're also talking about how through the costly death of our lord and his mighty resurrection that god is bringing the life of heaven within us and plucking out root and branch the life and the ways of hell. So John has made it clear from the opening verses that fellowship with God and those who are the eyewitnesses to the truth of God's Son in Christ, that is his highest concern and that is his highest joy. And that's ultimately the essence 
of life. Hear what he says in 1 John chapter 1, verses 3-4. through That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. By fellowship, John is talking about that wonderful, intimate relationship that we can have with God, that, that relationship where we have peace with God that comes as an absolute gift. So what is the solution to this life of darkness, this life of sin, this life of guilt, which all have lived out? Whether we have fully realized it or felt it in our hearts or not, John and his fellow witnesses are ecstatic Listened again to their passionate and confident testimony in the opening verses of 1 John. That which from the beginning, he says, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which we have seen and heard which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. John and the community of apostles have undeniable proof. They have heard, they have seen, they have touched they have undeniably and they have reliably encountered that God has sent his own and only son into the world. Jesus is no ghost. Jesus is no hologram. He had flesh. He talked. He walked among us. And he acted in demonstrable ways. John wanted his little children to especially know two things about Jesus that made him so special and so important to them and which makes Jesus so special and so important to us. Jesus' truth number one is that Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. Friends, it's very clear that sin brings devastating consequences. We become and we remain alien from that fellowship with God, which God created us to have through our sin. But here's the good news. The Father does not want his sinful world, whom he created for relationship with himself to not have provision and opportunity to be restored to favor and to fellowship with him. That, that long word, atonement, is simply a word that was coined in English. To, it, it's, it means what it sounds, at one It's the idea that God has made provision for us to be made one with him again. And Jesus is that atoning sacrifice. Some translations use a really even more fancy word, propitiation. It's the idea that, that our sin, it draws the displeasure of God. It breaks our fellowship with God. And yet, when Jesus laid down his life, he was healing all of that. He was addressing all of that and making it possible for the ill effects of sin to be overturned and for us to be brought back to God. But not only do we hear about how Jesus is our atoning sacrifice, but Jesus' truth number two is that Jesus is then our advocate. Renee already mentioned it. John has made it clear that we are all on the hook for our sin. I got a notice in the mail recently that I'm, I've been summoned to jury duty. And so I have to show up at the courthouse in Canton tomorrow morning. And I guarantee you there's going to be a number of folks that are charged for some various things. 
And I'm sure somebody's going to be pleading for each of the accused persons. Now, I don't know if they need to be pleaded for, but somebody's going to be doing their pleading, I'm sure. And some of these folks may be on the hook justifiably, and some of them may not. But thanks be to God that even though we are justifiably on the hook, that the Father himself, out of his great love for us, has sent his Son to get us off the hook. He laid down his sinless life on our behalf and tasted death so that then he could return and has returned to his Father and present himself to the Father as the basis for our acceptance. And on that basis, Jesus, God's Son, advocates for our acceptance with the Father. He takes up our case for us. He pleads for our embrace. And the Father, who in love sent his Son for this very purpose, gladly receives the pleas of his son and receives this sinner and all of us sinners who come to him through his son as his newborn and freshly restored sons and daughters. Now here's something very important for us because we may have some questions in our minds. Is that atonement just for some or is it for all of us? And I think it's very clear when you read not only the words of this passage, but also look at the rest of the book of 1 John, that whatever Jesus was for John and his dear children, Jesus, John says Jesus is for the whole world. And I think that means each and every one of us. So if we come today, like the tree removal guy came to me that day, or like I came at earlier in my life and at many other places along the way, or like maybe some of you come today with a troubled conscience, what we can know for sure is this, that when Jesus died for any, Jesus died for all. And so he has made unlimited provision so that each and every one of us can come to the Father. However, it is conditional. Because if we don't accept the invitation, if we don't receive the message of Jesus, and we don't receive Jesus himself as our atonement, and if we don't look to him to be our personal advocate, then we can't accept this good news. And I think this leads me to a problem that I I see a lot of times in contemporary Christianity, is that we sometimes want to turn this into a transaction rather than a transforming relationship. We believe that Jesus dealt with with the guilt of our sin on the cross, and we simply want to receive from him the gift rather than to receive he himself and the revelation of the Father that he alone brings. And so we try to turn it into something where it's we get the forgiveness and we get the assurance that we'll have eternal life in the future, but we miss the part about how the blood of Jesus not only washes away the stains, but John actually very clearly tells us that the blood of Jesus must change us and does change us if we accept it. So he says in chapter 1, verse 7, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. A lot of people hear that language of cleansing, and it's not a whitewash job. It's actually, it changes us. It, it makes us new people. It changes our hearts. And how could it be otherwise when he says the only way that you can do, experience this life-changing, life-transforming effect of Jesus' blood is if we walk in the light as God is in the light. I invite you this morning to take a little journey with me. 
thinking about these ideas of Jesus as our atoning sacrifice, and then on the basis of that, being our advocate with the Father. I want you to imagine that we're walking along, and this is kind of, this represents our life path this morning. I'm on that path. The tree removal guy's on that path. Each of us is on that path. And we come to the table here, and I want you to picture God the Father enthroned right here behind the table in the center. And I, don't, I want you to imagine us. We're, we're moving along. And the table represents, and the elements represent Jesus as the atoning sacrifice that we all need because we're all sinners. And Jesus is right over here, and he's present at the Father's right hand behind the table to both personally call us to himself and also to personally advocate for us with the Father. And we hear the call of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, maybe for the first time, or maybe we're hearing it again. And Jesus says to each of us, I see your rebellion. I see how you've been walking in darkness, whether through worshiping false gods or through dishonesty or through self-centeredness or through greed or through unloving and hateful attitudes and actions. I see it all. I see your stains. I see your emptiness. I see your bondage. You're in a desperate situation in your sins. If you go on in your present path, you will perish. But I, in great love, in great love have come. And the Father, in his great love and mercy, has sent me to come that you may have life in my name. And as we are hearing that, under the guidance and conviction of the Holy Spirit, we stand at a crossroads. Will we turn to the right to receive his offer here at the table? Or will we veer off to the left to continue on that path toward ultimate and final consequences and judgment of a, of a life in rebellion against the presence and purposes of God? Can it be that there is a solution for our predicament? Will we trust Jesus' voice and turn in the right direction? And then there's a tug of war that goes on within us. Maybe there's pride. Maybe there's a desire to continue on in the sin that we love so much. But something in us just won't let us go. And we cry out to Jesus, and we sense that there's a power beyond us that begins to lead us toward this table this morning, where we stumble onto our knees and we say, Feed me, Lord. Please forgive me. I was made for more. I've been living for so much less. Indeed, I've been living for that which is nothing. And yet, it's not really nothing. It's actually an eternal deficit, a life of misery apart from you. And then from Jesus, we hear that God is light, and he's life, and he's love. And Jesus asks us if we would trust him and surrender our hearts to him. He asks us if we understand that we can no longer be the willing servants of sin and darkness. And we say, yes, Lord, of course. And then Jesus shows us his nail-scarred hands, and his side that was wounded for us. And he says, I've paid it all to freely forgive you all and to set you free. And because it is I alone who has the authority to baptize you with the Holy Spirit, I breathe the Holy Spirit in and upon you and cause you to be born again, to be filled with the Spirit, and therefore freed from the, from the inevitable control of sin and darkness in your life. Lord, we say, but what if I stumble again? And he says to us, then, my dear child, 
come to me once again and receive from me. And then Jesus turns his loving gaze toward the Father. And he says, Father, I bring to you another newborn child who came humbly to me when I awakened him to my call. He brings no righteousness or merit of his own, but he pleads your favor in adopting acceptance. But I present myself to you on his behalf, your one and only son. See my hands and my side still bear the scars. I know you will receive him because I have made atonement for his sins too. Then the father says, it was my love that led me to send you into the world to be that atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world and to be the savior of the world. I always love to hear and receive those who humbly come to me through you, my son. And I know you have faithfully taught this newborn child of mine my nature, my light, my righteousness. And my dear son, has he understood and accepted this demand and claim? Otherwise, he would miss that fellowship with us and all his sisters and brothers that he was created for and is being redeemed for. And Jesus said, Father, it is always my delight to faithfully teach these things I know to be true in you. And yes, he understands that he is called to continually walk in the light because you are light and dwell in the light. Yet he knows he must always do this in full dependence upon my cleansing blood and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Then the father speaks to us, his newborn child, and says, My little child, I'm now your father and your God. I love you dearly. For I meant it when I said through my servant John that because I loved you, I sent my son Jesus to be that atoning sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. You are to know that through coming to and abiding in my son Jesus as your atonement, as your advocate, and by accepting the testimony to who I am and the rightful claim this places on your life, that you are now a true child of mine. And so, brothers and sisters, the truth about Jesus as our atoning sacrifice, as our advocate becomes real to us in our lives. For the first time, or maybe it becomes real to us again, as sweet as if it was the first time. John says boldly, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone, whether it's me, whether it's you, whether it's the guy who was helping remove the tree and unloaded on me that day. If any of us sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Are we awake and open to his invitation today? I invite you to hear these words as we prepare to come to the table. You who do truly and earnestly turn from your sins and by God's free grace seek to live in love with your neighbors and intend to lead a new life following the commandments of God, walking in the light from this day forward with God's help and walking in his commandments, draw near to this table this morning with faith in the Son of God and take this holy sacrament to your comfort as we go before God to make our humble confession to him. Let's pray together. Almighty God,
Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of all things, judge of all people. We come to you this morning confessing and mourning our many sins and wickedness, which we from time to time have most grievously committed by thought, by word and deed against your divine majesty. We ask for the guidance of your Holy Spirit this morning to confess specific sins as well as the sinful tendency of our hearts in silent prayer before you this morning. Father, we do earnestly turn from our sins and are truly sorry for our wrongdoing. The remembrance of them is a grief to us. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, most merciful Father. For your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ's sake, forgive all that is past and grant that we may from this day forward serve and please you in newness of life to the honor and glory of your holy name and through the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray this through Jesus Christ our Lord and all God's children said, Amen. 